Welcome to The Mess, 150 years of Cape Breton Highlander tradition. I am your host, Major Jason Doyle. After 150 years, the Cape Breton Highlanders have seen it all. And when you hang around The Mess as much as me, you'll learn some funny stories about the Highlanders, past and present. You may even find yourself in one or two. I learned a lesson, though, by joining the Cape Breton Highlanders. When you're wearing a kilt, never jump out of a second-story window into a snowbank. <laughs> Today, we're going to share a couple of those with you. Don't worry. We have picked and chosen very carefully to find a few that are appropriate for all ages. One of the things that I've been asked to do for the past few years, and I'm really happy to do it, is to come in and what I do is I wear my own Highland kit. It's not military, civilian sort of best dress kilt. This is Michael McDonald of Sydney. He's an assistant professor of communications at Cape Breton University and a veteran of the Cape Breton Highlanders who joined right out of high school. What I do is I come in and I perform the Ode to the Haggis or also called the Address to the Haggis that was written by Robert Burns, Scotland's sort of national poet a few hundred years ago. And it's done around different important days, like St. Andrew's Day and January 30th, to celebrate the haggis. So the haggis is brought in. And an interesting thing, many people, I'm sure, who are listening are familiar with the contents of the haggis. For those who are not, it's usually prepared inside a sheep's stomach. At least it used to be. Now they use sausage casings overall. But it's things like heart, lungs, kidneys, oats, because oats were a very common staple in the Highlands different spices and it's all mixed together. So you're eating parts of the sheep that a lot of times would have just been thrown out. The Highlanders, however, growing up in the Highlands of Scotland never wasted anything because they couldn't afford to. So the haggis is really a great tradition and it's done all over Scotland. It's done in Canada by military units, including our own. There are other parts of the world where they celebrate the haggis, including places in the US or Australia, New Zealand, where they have Highland units or groups. For us, it's an opportunity to come together as a battalion, as a group of former members, and to celebrate that kinship. It's done in a language that isn't quite English. It's Scots, so it's not easily comprehensible, but that's part of it. It sounds kind of cool when you hear it. It sounds kind of made up, but there is a point to it. And I've had the opportunity to do that several times. Last year, because of COVID, we couldn't all get together. So I believe it was yourself, sir, Major Doyle, who came up with the idea of doing an ode to the haggis out in the field with a couple of soldiers in current combat gear. And I walked along in my Highland dress. As they're eating their rations, I performed the ode to the haggis. That was a lot of fun. I've never seen it done elsewhere. So it was really innovative. Fair far, your honor, sonsy face. Great chieftain of the pudding race. Aboon the ma, you attack your place, pinch, tripe, or therm. Weel are you worthy of a grace, as langs my arm. The groaning trencher, there you fill. Your hurdies like a distant hill. Your pin would help to mend the mill in time of need. While through your pores the dews distill, like amber bead. His knife. See rustic labor decked, and cut you up with ready slacked, groaning your trenching entrails bright like on a ditch. Oh, what a glorious sight, warm, reeking, rich, 
Then horn for horn they stretch and strive, deal take the hindmost on they drive, till all their well-swallowed kites belive are bent like drums, and old good men may like to rive, bethink it hums. Is there that o'er his French ragout, or olio that would star a sow, or fricassee would make her spew, we honest stagger, looks down with sneering, scornful view on sick a dinner. Poor devil, see him o'er his trash, as feckless as a good whiplash, his spindle shank a good whiplash too, and his neve a knit. Through bloody floods or fields to dash, oh, how unfit. But note the rustic, haggis fed, the trembling earth resigns his stead. But note the rustic, haggis fed, the trembling earth resounds his tread. Clap in his wally neve a blade, he'll make it whistle. And legs and arms and heads will sned like tops a thistle. Ye powers, what mackman kind your care? And give to us our grateful fare. All Scotland wants nay skinking ware that chops and luggies. But if you wish her grateful prayer, gee her a haggis. I should say something about the, the, the sense of humor that kind of goes along with, with the military, particularly infantry. And I suppose that comes from history of, of hard times and having to carry on and, and do things that you wouldn't ask people to do under normal uh, situations. I can think of a couple of funny things. They started bringing reservists on overseas taskings, which, believe it or not, was back in the 60s. Today, as you know, they are making spots for officers, which wasn't the case when they first began. Anyway, I remember one of our sergeants had a posting with the brigade in Germany during the Cold War, probably 1960s. Anyway, another old Cape Breton Highlander by the name of Long John McNeil, who had, after the war, joined the Black Watch. A lot of the Cape Breton Highlanders that stayed in went into the Black Watch, one Highland Regiment to another. Anyway, I, I was sitting uh, uh, talking with Long John and this unnamed, or shall not say named, soldier came over, pretty proud after doing his uh, eight weeks in Germany with the brigade. And I remember Long John looked up at him and he said, my God, you got more overseas time than Genghis Khan. That was the kind of sense of humor that, you know, that I remembered from those guys, yeah. When I first started, we used to get a lot of kidding from, uh, you know, the kids in the neighborhood. We would be dressed in our kilt, and we were going to training night in Glace Bay. We would march down through Brookside Street in Glace Bay, and we would march up through Commercial Street in town, and we would be getting whistles and catcalls. But I tell you, it was pride that you took in wearing that kilt. I don't think the other units felt that. Um, I don't think anyway, but it was, a, it was just a pride in wearing that kilt and uniform and, and it didn't matter where you went, you wore it with pride. The story that pops in my head when I think of that is uh, we took Corporal McKenzie to Florida with us several oh. years ago. 
and we're training with the Marine Corps. And they looked at this guy, and Murray is Murray, and he has his own way of doing things, but he's a great piper. And why is this guy here? Why is he up earlier than everyone else? And then he would break out the bagpipes, and the head's kind of coming out and looking like, what is that? And we really kind of got a good spree de gore developed from that. And that's another thing that the pipes and drums really tries to do is bring up the units of spree de corps. You try and bring up morale. And it's a great feeling when you're the one who gets to do that. It was all work and a few fights with the Air Force and Navy. <laughs> I don't know if you remember where Fred's Creamery was on Charlotte Street. Well, I think it was next to that was a, one of those counter restaurants. And the fellow, I don't know what he did, whether it was one of our fellows that he cheated or it was an Air Force fellow that he cheated. But it was the only time that the three organizations got together. They went in through, and the front window on Charlotte Street was in pieces out in the back, and there wasn't a stick of wood left. But uh, just before I left, you were only allowed out two days a week downtown, because the Air Force had two days and the Navy had two days. Trying to keep you all separated. Separate, yeah. I learned a lesson, though, by joining the Cape Breton Islanders. When you're wearing a kilt, never jump out of a second-story window into a snowbank. <laughs> I'm scared to ask, but how did you learn that lesson? <laughs> <laughs> I did that at the church on George Street, out to see my sister, just after I got the kilt. And of course, they were saying, be a man. When I got married, a Scottish girl from Glasgow in the Air Force, and after the, we were married, went out to the pub, of course, with all her relations, and my best man, was Dave Webb from Atlantic Street, an ex Cape Breton Highlander. Went to the North Shore Regiment at the same time as I did. Anyway, I uh, come out of the pub at closing time at nine o'clock, daylight. One of the home guards was half sitting on the sidewalk, leaning up against the building. And this young punk came running across the street and hit him head on. Of course, he went down. Fell in uniform getting hit by a civilian? <laughs> That's all you needed. <laughs> That's all I needed. I hollered at him. He came over and he, of course, I was the same size as I am now, but he was about the same size. He took a swing at me, grabbed him, brought his arm down across my knee. He screamed. His friends started to come across. By that time, my brother's-in-law, well, he was Navy then. The other fellow wasn't old enough to join the services. And all the relations get into it. First thing I knew, my feet wasn't touching the ground. Two Coldstream guards, Sergeant Major and a Staff Sergeant, one on each side of me. Come on, Canada, you're not getting into that. <laughs> they were must have been seven foot tall. I said, my wife is over there with her brother, and her brother's laying on the ground. Well, grab a hold of her and get out of there. Came back, they were in the center of the street, and I looked over, and there was at least 25 police in a row coming out of the sports field from a game between England and Scotland. And England lost. That was a riot to start with. <laughs> but the next morning, in the Glasgow paper, showed all the people milling around, and you could see the yellow flash of the Toronto Scottish. George Fraser was a commanding C Company, and I was commanding B Company, and Rick Parsons was commanding Alpha Company. 
And we used to have competitions with the company with all kinds of silly stuff like snow uh, snowshoe races and uh, chain of command races uh, where you, a private would run with a, with a radio and then a court, pass it off to a corporal who would have a, a radio and a rucksack who would pass it off to a sergeant who would have a radio and a rucksack and a jerry can who would pass it off to a young officer who had a, a radio, a jerry can, a spare tire, and then then the company commander would have something on top of that. So that was a fun event to watch. One event was a cross-country run, which I remember well. George Frazier and I, we were pretty good soldiers, but we, were, we weren't in as good shape as Rick Parsons was. And we figured that his company, Alpha Company, would win the cross-country, which is about five or six miles. And you had to have the company commander go and nine privates or corporals. So anyway, of the three, I was in the worst physical condition. Uh, we started off from Victoria Park. Uh, Rick went first, Alpha Company, and I went second, Bravo Company, and George went last. And we all went five minutes apart. I had the biggest company at the time, and there were checkpoints along the way. And as it happened, they, they were all my personnel that were on the checkpoints. So I did my run. I guess it wasn't too long. I uh, tired. Actually, at the lights on Alexander Street, I was tempted to jump in the back of a truck. But anyway, we kept going on, and George Fraser knew he couldn't get Rick. So anyway, he knew he could get me. The first checkpoint, he asked, you know, where's Dreisick? And my guy said, well, he's just about three minutes ahead of you. So he gained two minutes in the first checkpoint. He tried a little harder. And the second checkpoint, he asked my guys, where's Dreisick now? He said, just, just about a minute ahead of you. So he put in another gear and tried harder. And the third checkpoint, uh, he asked the guys, and there were my guys again. He said, where's Dreisick? He said, he's just over the hill. So he, he knew he could catch me. Anyway, I came through the woods behind St. Anthony Daniel Church there in Rotary Park. Came up on uh, Shadwick Street, I think. And who was there but a young fellow with a and also be able, you know, actually it was a member of C Company. So I jumped on the hood of his car and I got a, a complete ride right down Shadwick Street to George Street, a considerable distance in a five-mile race. Uh, I was able to rejuvenate and run down the rest of George Street and back to Victoria Park and finished before George came in. George was trying harder and harder. He, he couldn't reach me after I got on the car. And by the time we got to Victoria Park, his nine guys were carrying him on their shoulders. <laughs> he, he was near, nearly dead. And I said, George, I said, where were you? <laughs> he got over it, but he was, uh, he, he, he was had. I, I'm, I'm trying to think how I can clean up some of the ones I know. But one of my favorite, I was actually serving as a district commander of Cape Breton District. The last conference I was on, Area Commanders Conference, they were talking about the regular force was going to take over recruiting. This was in 1990, and it was going to be the best thing since the bayonet was invented, right? And I was kind of in a, a lippy mood, and knowing that I was fireproof because I was getting out. And I recounted a story. I said, I joined the Highlanders in 1956. Two weeks later, I was kitted out and sworn in by 
the company orderly corporal of support company in the Cape Breton Highlanders. That took two weeks. If the new system can beat that, I'll say great system. I didn't get a clap. I didn't get a smile. I just got a ton of dirty looks, eh? but I got it off my chest. We have a saying, no names, no pack drill. So I'm not gonna mention this particular pipe major, but a few years back, God, everything's a few years back now, probably 30 plus, maybe 40 plus. Devco was going to bring some black-faced sheep and raise them in Cape Breton. So they made a big deal out of it. And these were the Cheviot sheep that sort of had a great deal to do with us emigrating to Canada, to Cape Breton. And they kept the sheep and they sent us away, which was a great break for us. But anyway, I had a good rapport with this individual. Said to him, I had seen him on TV. Oh, they made a big deal out of piping the Cheviots off an aircraft, and the pipe major had been tasked with that, right? He certainly didn't volunteer for it, but he worked with DEFCO. So I couldn't resist teasing him a bit, knowing he was also a Highlander by birth, you know. Yeah. And I said, oh, I caught your act on TV. And he looked at me, and uh, I won't say all of what he said, but the gist of it was, and when I saw those black-faced, black-eyed, dirty bastards coming down off the gangplank, I said, here we go again. That was a classic. There was a, a commanding officer whose name will not be mentioned, although his last one is the same as mine. He was a great raconteur and a tremendous storyteller. And I was talking with him one night in the mess, and I said, you know, it's kind of ironical that for years the regiment wore a Campbell tartan, and we've now switched to a McDonald one. And he never batted an eyelash. He said, yes, and in Cape Breton, we call that multiculturalism. One that was related to me by one of our veterans was when he was uh, out on patrol all night. The next day, they had the day off, so he found a nice, quiet spot to rest in. So he propped his jacket up behind his head and crossed his legs and fell asleep. Uh, he woke up a little later on, and there was an animal, a bear, chewing on the end of his uh, boot. So the bear went from the boot to his pack and in it the animal took out food that he had stashed away for the evening and then took off with the ration pack which left him with no meal. I remember in 1996, I think it was, I was asked to be the team captain for the soldiers race team going to the Nova Scotia International Tattoo. We didn't win the top prize, but we beat out 1st Battalion, which was kind of gratifying, and we got our picture taken with the Queen's Trophy. But, you know, we worked as a team. It was great camaraderie, just a super good time. And that was about three weeks in total that you're working with these guys, and 
you develop some strong friendships with these guys. I still hear from some of them today telling me, you know, what a great time they had in the tattoo. I have to comment on Andre, very good friend of mine. And I started, you know, as a private and Andre was there, the sergeant, and he was the master, ultimate master at saying something in a way that you got the point across, but if you actually said the sentence in normal life, you'd be scratching your head as, what the hell is he talking about? Clean the willy mammoth off your boots or something like that would be something that he would say. And he'd say it in such a way that you're scared to death that an actual woolly mammoth was on your boot. And he was a master at being able to do that and dress you down, but in a way that had you thinking the entire time of what was really going on. Are you familiar with what a challenge coin is? Yes, I am. Okay. Can you kind of explain a little bit what that is? A challenge coin is issued by the unit that you happen to be in. In some cases, they show the higher ranks. They will have a different one than lower ranks, but generally there's one challenge coin in the unit. The one for the Cape Breton Highlanders, on one side it has the current Cape Breton Highlanders hat badge, and I say current because it's actually also the old one, but it also has the Nova Scotia Highlanders hat badge because for a long time, Cape Breton Highlanders ceased to exist, and we wore the Nova Scotia Highlanders hat badge. So that's what ours looked like. A challenge coin is something when you're in a situation, well, let's say you're in a pub where you might have a beverage with a few other military people. Someone could slap down their challenge coin on the table, and that shows that they're challenging you to produce your challenge coin. And if you don't have it, and you're supposed to, then you buy the drinks for that round. Absolutely. And it's a great tradition. And there's lots of different stories about how that came to be and, and stuff like that. But it came to my attention that you don't have a copy of the current one. And so I just happen to have oh. a challenge coin for you. That is awesome. I've seen these. This, however, is amazing. And it will never leave my possession. It will always be in my pocket. Well, that's good to know, because I know not to challenge you at the pub then. <laughs> I'm really touched. I might, I might challenge you, sir. <laughs> yeah, you that's the problem. You might, and I, you might win, but you may not. You never know. <laughs> no, I uh, wouldn't count on it. I'm sure you have yours at all times. And a lot of times, I tell people who are going in, I encourage a lot of people to join. I tell them, you know, the discipline side of things, where somebody might raise their voice a little bit or whatever, tell you to do something, it's all part of the game, in a sense. You learn how to do it. You learn that it's important, and then you play along. Now then, when it gets serious, when you're using live weapons, and when you're using live grenades, and you're doing things that can be dangerous, you fall back on all that training before. And maybe something that was punctuated by a, you know, pay attention, that's something that you'll be having to learn in a possibly life-threatening situation. And some of our guys have seen combat in Afghanistan, whether with our unit or with others or with the regular forces after they were done with the Highlanders. I love you talking about the game. It's such an important piece of this and people have a hard time articulating that. I think of inspections. There's always inspections on course. No matter what, the first inspection, you are not going to pass it. They are going to find dirt. They are going to do something because that's part of the game. You have to strive for better. And when you learn that like, there's certain milestones you want to hit here, and as you hit them, it gets better and it gets a little bit easier. And then you kind of fall back on that discipline and be able to do it and, and kind of get into that routine. But particularly infantry like the Highlanders, the motto is, is definitely uh, not good enough. Oh, that's good enough. You, all, you never want to be good enough. You want to be 
uh, excellent. You want to excel. You want to make sure everything is safe because uh, that's where things really come into play. You want to learn what the job is of the people around you, what is their tasking. And that way, if you are in, called into a situation, you have the basis of relying on the people around you. You have been listening to The Mess, commemorating 150 years of Cape Breton Highlanders tradition. To continue participating in our 150th anniversary celebrations, check out shapingofcanada.ca. To learn how you can become a Highlander and join us at The Mess, visit our page on the Canadian Forces website or join us on Facebook at the Cape Breton Highlanders Association page.